want you to do something right now. I want you to take your Bible and I want you to hold it in your hand for a second. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, uh, there should be one. Uh, there's always some in the very back. If you ever need a Bible, you raise your hand and we'll, uh, we'll get you a Bible. Um, if, you, uh, if you would, just, just hold your Bible in your hand for a second. And um, while, we're, while we're holding this book in our hand, uh, I, want you to, I want you to think through something with me. We're starting a series um, in Ephesians this week. And uh, I wanted to say a few words with you holding um, God's word in your hand. We believe in this room, uh, I don't, not we, I believe, and many of us in this room believe, uh, this to be the inspired word of God. And uh, in the news of late, there's been all kinds of things about holy books and whatnot. And uh, I don't know if you've caught any of that, but it's been kind of in the news. Um, in, our, in our name of our church is Neighborhood Bible Church. And... Um, one of the things that we wanted to do was to clarify what kind of a church this was. And just by putting the word Bible in, part of what we're saying is that the kind of church we are, the kind of gathering we are, the God that we worship is the God of the Bible. Therefore, uh, when you come to church, I, I plan on you having a Bible with you. I want you to plan on opening it and us looking at it and um, as we start diving into the book of Ephesians this week, I wanted to say a few comments about why it is that we that we would teach through a book. Um, we just wrapped up a series uh, called Demanding, where we took kind of an excursion from this. But I would say our bread and butter since the day we've opened and moving forward is and, and will be really taking a book of the Bible and walking our way through it. And um, and really going verse by verse. And, and there's just a few comments that I want to kind of, of make about that. First of all, there are some in this room who say, man, we're going way too slow. Man, we went through John. That was just too slow. There was a that was a long period of time for me to track with. And I get that. Others of you say, man, you skipped over whole parts. How can you skip through that part? We should be taking it, uh, you know, s- smaller chunks at, at a time. I get that. Here's the point. Within a family, there's some who like spicy chili. There's some who like unspicy chili. Are we tracking? Right? So as we go through this, some of you will feel frustrated. And some of you are like Goldilocks picking the middle one. You're like, that's just right. Um, so as we go through this, there will be some of you that will feel very frustrated that we're going so slow. And you'll feel like, man, my life's moving by and I've got all these other things to talk about. Isn't the Bible have a wealth of knowledge about other topics? Yes, it does. Others of you will say, man, I, I wish we could just stop and, and speak on this. Charles Spurgeon sometimes would speak on one word. So if you think we're going uh, too slow, uh, know that it can be slower if we, if we so chose, right? There's always more to, to dive into and to, and to talk about. One of the other things about going through a book of the Bible is this, that it covers a multitude of subjects as we walk through that I personally may not think to talk about or may not be passionate to talk about or may not as leaders, we, it may escape our attention to, to touch on these topics. When you walk through a book of the Bible, what you find is you are covering um, this breadth of topics. And it's going, to, it's going to force us to kind of look at some things biblically. And it's going to, it's going to draw those, those kinds of things out. The other thing about going through a book of the Bible that I don't want you to miss is this. Is as we walk through a passage of Scripture, some of you already have this down and have been trained in this and know how to do this. <clears throat> some of you don't. Um, and that is just how to study the Bible. There's some great little resources out about how to study the Bible. And there's a myriad of methods and topics and ideas. The biggest thing at the end of the day is that you do what you're learning, right? 
It's not just to study it and, and learn different techniques. But one of the things that we want to do as we walk through a, a portion of Scripture is guard against lifting out certain things. It's called proof texting, where you kind of pull different texts that seem to, to bolster your opinion or your idea about it. That's a, a technique that's called eisegesis. It means you're putting your meaning onto Scripture rather than letting Scripture speak and put meaning into your life. And we want to guard against that. So as we work through Ephesians, we're looking for flow of thought, flow of logic. What is he really saying? And what, is it, what does it mean for us today after we've looked at what would the intent of the original author be? Um, something else is this. I've already kind of talked on this a little bit, but uh, there's different debates that go on in Christian, Christianese worlds. And, and it's just kind of interesting to pull back and look at them kind of a, from a long-range standpoint. But there used to be a big uh, argument whether you should be doing topical or verse-by-verse. And some churches like, we're verse by verse, and we're topical, and there was this battle going on. And it's a really silly battle. It's kind of a dumb thing to fight over, but when we don't have anything else to fight over, we pick new things, we fight over that. Now, there are good reasons that, that people would have for that, um, but here's what I would want to say. I would want to say back into the idea of, of drawing out meaning from the text and not putting it on is expositional teaching is this, just to expose what the scripture says. It's hopefully to say, here's the Bible. We want to take, we want to take light and shed, and shed light on it. And only some of that can happen in this kind of a setting. This kind of a setting is designed for one person to be talking. And this is biblical, by the way. Public proclamation and preaching are biblical things that a church ought to be doing. It's one of the ways you can tell if it's a, if it's a Christ-centered gospel church. However, the other side of that is working through it as a family, as a couple, as an individual. Every single week, you're given resources by this church um, that, will, that will help enhance that and, and kind of take your study further. In community groups is where we can kind of bang it out and talk about it and, and dive into it and say, gosh, Dave didn't go into it much, or Rich didn't go into it much, or Ben didn't go into it much, but let's crank on this verse a little bit. And here's some study that I've done and, and this and that. Uh, one more thing. Um, uh, the last thing is this, as we go through Ephesians and as we're going through this book, I want you to know that our youth, our high school group and our middle school group um, are going to be starting. They've actually already started this last Tuesday. They're going to be pulling in the same direction. They're going to be going through Ephesians as well. So we're going to get a lot of Ephesians at this church over the next several months. And here's part of the design of that. One of my frustrations as a youth pastor was this dichotomy that sometimes would happen where the youth were doing their thing and big church was doing their thing. And there's often tension that kind of goes on with that. Now, that doesn't mean that every single topic I go over, every passage I go over has to be done in the youth. In fact, I've really asked Ben, man, would you put a youth spin on this and grab at topics from where they're going? But isn't it cool that we'll all be discussing the book of Ephesians for the next several months? And as your teen uh, comes back from youth group, Fire off questions about what they're learning, and you'll be soaking kind of in the same, the same kind of a passage. Um, we're going to get to the, to the book itself in, in just a second, but let me just kind of say that this morning's kind of a, kind of an, an overview, uh, kind of a morning. This is a letter, uh, some of you have Bibles that say the letter of Paul to the Ephesians. Uh, we tend to think of Ephesians as a book. We often say it, we call it a book of the Bible, which it is. Um, but remember, it was a letter, and that's what we're doing today. One of the things that the youth did, they're already ahead of us, this is your homework this week, is to sit down and read the letter of Ephesians straight through, just in one sitting. Kind of catch all six chapters, flow of thought, what are some things that are kind of drawn out to you. Um, but that's how, it, that's how it would often have been read. And so periodically throughout this series, it'll be important to just kind of do that and get kind of a, a big picture look at it.
We're looking at a letter that was written to a specific church, but supernaturally, this letter has been preserved and empowered to speak to our church. Did you catch that? This was written to a church, a specific group of people or a region of people. We'll get into that. So it was written to this, this church at Ephesus. But the miracle of the Bible and, and the, the gift of the Bible, and part of why it's important to hold this in your hand, is to understand we're so gifted to have this. Raise your hand if you have more than one copy of the Bible, electronically or physically. Okay, look around the room for a second. Most of us have a lot of Bible, right? It's, it's here and available for us, and it's really powerful to think about the fact that we have, we have a copy for us right here, nice and neat and clean and, and intact. And part of the miracle of what we're going to be doing is looking at a letter that was written all this time ago, but is supernaturally powered to speak into our life today. I want you to raise your hand this morning if you enjoyed the first day of class where you were handed what's called a syllabus. When you were a younger kid, they didn't call it a syllabus. They called it something else. I have some teachers laughing right now. Um, but let me see your hand if you enjoyed class day where it's the first day of class syllabus where they, 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 they walk through all the assignments that are due, when they're going to be due, the nature of the projects, the overall goal of the class, what's expected of you, what happens if tardiness happens, what happens if this, what's the grading skills. Would you just proudly put your hand up if you enjoyed syllabus day? Proud. Get it up there. Yeah. Okay. Now, by implication... Most of the rest of you don't necessarily like syllabus day, okay? I think we fit into syllabus liking and syllabus not liking kinds of people in general. Just, just a hunch. I don't have any data to support that. Um, let me kind of warn you. Today's a little bit like syllabus day. Now, it's fall, and um, a lot of things come to mind with fall, but one of the things that I absolutely loved about fall was uh, kind of getting back to school. And a um, little history lesson here. They invented at one point something called the Trapper Keeper, which was a super innovative way to keep your peachy folders. Remember the peachy folder? It was that classic, like, ABC Wild World of Sports graphic going on. It was yellow always. It had a very convenient inside folder that you could tuck papers in um, and all that. Well, what happened was those started getting really hectic and hairy and all over the place. So some genius person came up with the Trapper Keeper. And one of the rites of passage in our home was this. You got to go out and pick a new lunchbox periodically, uh, I think almost every year, and you got to go and pick out a trapper keeper. Now, this thing had a brand new killer invention called Velcro with it. Um, and and uh, some of these pictures look really glossy because they, they thought to put a plastic cover on it even. So you spill your chocolate milk at lunch, you're totally covered. The trapper keeper's got you good. There's a couple rules with trapper keeper. If you want to go with kind of the 80, uh, 80s video rock, um, you know, motif as a guy, that's, that's, that's workable. You would definitely be good on that. Um, I'm not advancing here, Carl. Can you advance me one? Um, if you were this and you're a guy, you want to stay away from neon hearts, okay? There's kind of a movement now with emo and this and that that you could pull that off, but that's, that's not really the uh, direction that, that you want to go. Um, kind of a, another one here, Dukes of Hazard Classic. You could always go with that. I've got a guy from Atlanta in the back getting real excited. I was from San Jose, and I dug the Dukes of Hazard. I didn't get all the southern references until I was an adult. Um, and uh, here's one that you would definitely want to stay away from as a, as a middle school boy or a fifth grade boy. Uh, but girls, you're digging that. You're like, yes, I like Skittles-colored uh, hearts that, that are attached to the end of a rainbow. Um, and really, the Magnum PI car with the European license plate, that's the one I think that stands out probably as, I don't think I ever got this one, but it was a really cool one. Um, I bring up Trapper Keeper because of this. There's, there's, a, there's a point to all this. Um, 
Did some of you struggle like I did with getting a course syllabus, having amazing intentions of what you were going to do, talk yourself into how this year was going to be different, you were going to grow, you had a fresh start. It's such a good feeling to have a fresh start, isn't it? You're like, okay, I, I mean, teachers would empower you by saying this, every single one of you in this room right now have an A plus in the class. And you're like... Yes! I quit. Like, you just want to, you want the semester to be over right there. You're like, I can't mess it up now. And that was really empowering to me because it's like, that's a, that's a great way to inspire that, hey, now, now just work at keeping it. Now here's how you keep it. There's some things that you do. Um, and, and if you're like me, you, you struggled with poor follow through sometimes. Um, let me just challenge you as we start into Ephesians. Some of you are so glad we're done with something because you like the new. You like moving on to something new. And there's a trap sometimes to be sucked into the new, huh? Of always needing to go to the mall, always needing to get the new this. And the new seems to be this thing that kind of fills you up for a short season of time. Um, just like in school, you need to create a plan. Uh, let me just let you kind of make your own attachments to this as we start the book of Ephesians. And this isn't a school. This isn't a classroom in that sense. But make your own parallels as we launch into the book of Ephesians as a church and think about a school person. OK, here's a good plan. Attend all classes. OK, now that's pretty mandatory when you're young and growing up. But once you hit junior college, I just talked to a, one of our kids who started junior college. It's optional all of a sudden. And you're like, wow, the waves are up. Class is going. The waves are up. Class is going. I think I could probably miss a class or I'm going to attend class. Those are the choices that are before you. Attend all classes is kind of a, a basic bare minimum thing to do. Complete all assignments. Study up and then execute your best on tests. All those things apply to our Christian walk, you guys. It really does. And to come and kind of catch, catch chunks of what we're talking about here, you're going to miss some things. One of the things that we have going on every single week is that our messages in here are, are recorded. If you miss a week, commit to just having a second one. Are we having an issue over here, John, that needs attention? Okay. Okay. All right. Um, thanks, you guys. Nancy, can you help tend that? Thank you. Um, let me just say this. Here, here are just a, a couple of options uh, for you, a couple of action steps that you could take. Some of you have great study Bibles and you don't use the study part of the Bible. Um, you know what a great thing to do is to take a thick study Bible that you already own. You're not spending a dime here and just start to use it. Start to say, man, I'm going to take, I'm going to take my time as we're walking through these passages. I'm going, to, I'm going to read up on these intros. Most study Bibles have the author of, of Ephesians, the time of Ephesians, the place of Ephesians, the um, purpose of Ephesians. Where is Christ found in Ephesians? What are some key verses, key themes? What's a key chapter? Those are all the kinds of things that, that you would want to look at and just use your study Bible. Some of you can afford right now, tomorrow. I don't think Christian bookstores are open on Sundays. At least they shouldn't be. But uh, tomorrow you could run out and you could buy a commentary. In fact, you could download it. It's open all day. Uh, you could download a commentary right now and you could have that and you could follow along. I've got I've got some commentaries that I would recommend and like, but do some research on it. Grab a commentary and start to follow along as you study the Bible. As you go to community group, consider bringing a good Bible handbook or a Bible dictionary with you or a reader's companion. There's all kinds of tools out there that will help you study Ephesians and get into the heart of Ephesians. In essence, what's happening right now is that you are receiving, in a way, pre-digested food. In other words, I've studied Ephesians a bunch. I've been reading and studying Ephesians for several weeks, a couple months now, actually, thinking toward this series. It's biblical and good that you're sitting under some teaching and hearing that. 
However, pre-digested food is different than, than mining it yourself and getting it fresh from God's word yourself. So I want to challenge you to, to grow in that. I place a premiums on Sunday just like you would place a premium on being in class. Can you get the notes? Can you get the gist of things in a couple of sentences from someone who is there? Yes. But is it different than sitting in class and learning and experiencing? Absolutely. What we're doing right here, you cannot do anywhere else. That is being with God's people, worshiping with God's people, learning with God's people and being together as a church. And not to underestimate what's going on when we're coming together as a church. Thirdly, I would say just to participate in weekly community groups, and that is, um, that is just imperative to have kind of the second wing, so to speak, of, of this. Um, Kirsten, I'm going to invite you up right now. Uh, I didn't know you were staying. I thought you were leaving for Sunday school. Come on up. You're going to make an announcement right now. That's what we're talking about, just so she knows what's happening. Um, there's, a fourth, there's a fourth way that you can be involved in this. And I thought I just wrote this announcement into this portion of it. But since you're here, I want you to go ahead and say it. So, so go ahead. Okay. So, well, I'm sorry, but I just wanted to say that um, some of you probably here heard of George Mueller. And um, George Mueller was a man who was in England years ago. And he trusted God for everything. He trusted God to provide for him and his family and all the orphans that he took care of. Mm. And he never asked ever for a handout, for, for financial help or for food or anything. He took everything to the Lord, to our Father, in prayer on his knees for hours a day. And, um, in fact, God provided so abundantly for him that he could open up five orphanages, orphanages, and he took care of thousands of children, and he opened up many schools also. And um, God can supply all the needs of our church and our neighborhood and us if we could only just ask him, if we would only ask him. And so... um, I, I just wanted to say that in the last few years, we've had some prayer meetings going on back here, but um, in the last year, it kind of lapsed off. And <clears throat> I just wanted to invite you to join me and my husband back here on Sundays to pray for our church and our neighborhood. And to start off for the month of September from 9.30 to 10.15, right back here in this room um, by the kitchen far back, we were just going to pray for our church and our neighbors. And um, a strong September, and then after that, maybe once a month. So um, we'd, we'd be happy to have you join us. Thanks. Thanks, Kirsten. Yeah. Um, I want to include that because there are, uh, there are spontaneous times of prayer that, that come up. There are organized um, meetings that, that happen. And... Um, uh, what an awesome thing to, to make part of your Sunday morning worship to show up early at 9, 9.30 and, um, and just be praying. Be praying over uh, the services and what's going on. Being praying for our neighborhood um, and, and those kinds of things. Let me give you Ephesians kind of in a nutshell. And this is in your bulletin, so you don't have to write it down. Um, but if I could uh, just kind of take a stab at, at uh, giving you a a little bit of a working overview of the book, it would be this, that there is one plan ruled by one God. There's one true church and each Christian or each one, each individual within the one collective body has a lofty position by grace and must live accordingly. Some of you enjoyed backyard football. I I played a lot of that growing up and, and kids my age would grow up. And here's how it would work. You'd go get into a huddle And someone would be the quarterback, and here's what they would do. They would have their back to the opponents, and they would draw the plan out. And they would look around the circle, and they'd say, okay, you, you're going to go up, and you're going to cut hard left. 
and you're going to do a post pattern. You're going to do a curl and this and that. And um, as you went around the huddle, here's what would happen. Uh, If one person didn't get looked at by the quarterback and told what they were doing, what does that say to them? You don't matter. You don't get a part in this play. If, if consistently, after, if after four plays, you keep looking at the same guy and the guy goes, uh, excuse me, what about me? And you go, uh, oh, well, you just do whatever. What? Okay. How much longer does the guy keep lining up on the line after, after hike? I mean, at some point, he goes and buys a snicker and goes and hangs out at the arcade. He does something different, right? He's not going to keep playing football because he's not really playing football. He's not a part of the team. Um, Ephesians is really powerful because of this. Ephesians is, is this kind of really sweeping book that talks about really God's plan, God's big, massive plan. And here's the second really powerful component, and your part in it. If you hear of a plan, but you don't know your part in it, it's frustrating. Because you see things going on, you see movement happening, you see great things happening, but you're on the outside looking in. Now, some people go to church for years and years, and they're on the outside looking in by their own choice. Let me just make that really crystal clear. Sometimes they're on their outside looking in because leadership hasn't looked them in the eye and said, here's your part. There's a mutual working together that needs to go on with this. Some of you are hungry to to jump in and do your part and live out your part in ministry. Do you see how this is a a two-way conversation here? This isn't just leadership or people pursuing you and you kind of sit there folding your arms waiting for things to happen. Um, you, you need to kind of know how you fit in. Ephesians is going to kind of walk us through that. Here's what's really typical about Pauline literature. Letters that are written by Paul. Here's what he, here's what he does. Here's how it goes down. He starts with doctrine and then he moves on to conduct. Here's another way of saying it. Belief precedes behavior. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to take three chapters and he's going to roll out this doctrine. And far from being dusty, dry and old, it's reality. It's what we build our truths on. So it's vastly important. So he's going to take three chapters and roll out doctrine, correct belief. And then he's going to apply that to some very specific, very tangible kinds of things and work through behavior. Now, there's instruction even in the layout of this. It's theologically significant that Paul does this. It's actually instructive for us as a church that Paul does this. Let me point out what I mean. Only as we die to self, rise to newness of life in Christ, can we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, which is required for living a life pleasing to God. Let me tell you what you got over and over and over in the demanding series. All of these commands of Christ are all preceded by, and we started with, a right belief about a regenerate heart, about you must be born again. But I didn't make myself be physically born. How can I make myself spiritually born? Exactly. It's God's work. So all through the demanding series, lest we got veered off into a works mentality, or I think I need to even the scales, or I'm not doing these commands better, Far from any of that was a constant repetitive thing about the reality that you need to do this from your new standing in Christ. That's what you got in demanding every single week. That's what you're going to continue to get as we walk through Ephesians. Now, if you invert this, here's what you get. You get kind of a a modern picture of, of religion. And here's what it is. If you allow your behavior to inform your doctrine, what happens is, Your doctrine matches what you can live up to. 
right? So the Pharisees basically built this standard that they could keep, but they pressed it in on people who couldn't quite reach as high as they could. Their doctrine of belief, their system of belief, their, their way of salvation became, we're in the club, we can maintain this, and, and you can't. So their behavior in, informed their doctrine, so to speak. We don't want to invert this. We want to start with correct belief and then move on to, okay, how should we live out our lives accordingly? Chuck Colson has a great book title. It says, How Then Shall We Live? In light of what we know to be true, how are we to work this out in life? Let me give you a, a, a quick overview of some content. Uh, one of the big themes of this is the church. And in each chapter, there's some different um, uh, kind of metaphors that, that Paul works through. Uh, first, uh, first chapter says the uh, church is a body. And it kind of uses this metaphor of, of church as a body. Uh, chapter 2 is the church as a temple. Chapter 3, the church as mystery. Chapter 4, the church as a new creation. Chapter 5 works into the family, the, the church as obedient family. And chapter 6 is a pretty famous chapter about the church as a soldier. What we're going to get a lot of in this book is a wake-up call for our church. A wake-up call for the church of Christ in San Jose. How are we doing? How vibrant are we? How, are, are we? Are we pulling in the right directions? Are we going about it the right way in the power of Christ? This is a great season for us. Fall is a great season of beginnings and, 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 uh, and taking some inventory to see for us. Our, let, let us reflect on where we are headed as a church. We want to be biblically informed as we make decisions in the church. So we're going to continue to do that. Uh, a second element of the content is just the idea that it's preventative. Uh, it's, it's, it's preventative instruction toward maturity. And I contrast that with saying that Paul sometimes would write to address specific heresies, specific false teachings that had crept into the church, specific sins that were allowed to be in the church and they were tolerated. And Paul would come in and say, what's this I hear about this? Let me remind you of the truth. Let me ground you once again in the truth. This is what you were taught. If anyone comes in, don't you dare believe that. This is what the truth is. Ephesians instead is preventative. And even in this, I think there's some instruction in it. It's instructive for us as a church family. It's instructive for you as an individual. Here's what churches can sometimes tend to be. They can be reactive. Sometimes within the Christian community, churches can be reactive. In other words, something's going on in culture that makes me fearful. That makes me feel uncomfortable. I'm going to react to that. Culture's moved over here now. I feel uncomfortable with that. That makes me I'm going to react to that. And sometimes people have a perception, rightly so, of looking at a Christian and say, gosh, Christians are awfully reactive. Sometimes I'd say, man, guilty as charged. I've seen that in, in the Christian community. Now, it's, it's good to react to certain things, right? Uh, if your child lights their hair on fire, it's good to react to that. That's a problem. You need to be reactionary as a parent or else you wouldn't be loving. However, to live in reactionary mode, not only is it exhausting, it's totally on a defensive standpoint, and there's no victory in that. And I don't think that's exactly where Christ has called us to be as a church. Um, the other side of that is to be proactive. Let me give you some um, hands-on examples of this. There's one, uh, there's one thing that you could be doing as a, a Christian couple that would be um, marriage counseling, right? You could wait for couples to come to you that are at the very end of the rope. And they're like, Dave, we're about to get a divorce. But we thought as a last ditch effort, we should come and talk to a pastor. That's reactionary kinds of things. Here's proactive ministry 
as a Christian is to say, what can we do to build into strong homes? What can we do to pour into marriages that are kind of lukewarm or are doing great to ensure that they maintain a godly picture of what they're to be in, in marriage? Those are, those are two different kinds of things, reactive and proactive. Here's another one. One is to serve the homeless and the hungry. That's reactive, and I think that's a good thing to do. The second thing is to do, let's say, let's pour our energy into a, a, a neighborhood garden that would actually start to invite people into eating healthy and to actually rope them in, be giving them, but, but empowering them at the same time. That's, that's reactive and proactive ministry. Here's another one. Small groups that are based and focused on recovery versus working toward a healthy, which would be a biblical view of alcohol, of sex, of marriage, of money. You know what those are? Those are community groups. Now, I'm not against recovery groups. I'm saying here that I think we ought to be both and. I don't think you ought to be exclusive one or the other. To, to exclude a hungry person who's hungry right now and say, well, in five years, we're going to build a, a whole home for you. They say, thanks a lot. I may be dead by then. So to ignore that is, is wrong. However, to constantly be in this mode is, like I said, it's just draining. And it's not very visionary to say, what can we do to, to meet the whole needs of people? We want to be both, and we don't want to be bound by one or the other. As profound as Ephesians is, Ephesians is intensely practical. It grapples with moral, spiritual, and domestic problems that you face today, that I face today. And it answers these problems in very authoritative, simple, clear, unequivocal language that may shock you. You may read parts. We may get into parts of Ephesians and you say, that's what the Bible says about that issue. Let's, let's look at it. Sure seems like it. Boy, that flies in the face of not only culture, but what I've been raised in church with. Maybe. Let's submit to the Word of God and see what it says. Um, I think your study Bibles have a lot of great content on this, so we're not going to focus a ton on circumstances and, and timing and all of that. But let me just say this. It's really important as we work through this, this um, book of the Bible to keep in mind kind of like a Christmas gift. Who's it to and who's it from, right? That matters to us at Christmas. It matters to us in a, in a letter form as well. This book of the Bible, this letter was penned while Paul was in prison. Now, let me just kind of, it's hard for us because most of us haven't been in prison. And so it's a little bit lost on us um, to catch some of the grandeur of themes that go on in Ephesians while being bound against your will and not free. Okay? But as we read through these different uh, things in Ephesians, we need to keep in the back of our mind, we need to keep remembering this is a guy who's writing this from, from prison. Here's what I mean by that. Um, how many of your moods, you don't have to raise your hand because it might be embarrassing. How many of your moods um, change and alter when you don't get a shower for a couple of days? How many moods change when close friends haven't brushed their teeth in five days? So it's not just your own personal thing. It's other people. Yeah. This shouldn't be happening, by the way, in suburban America. So just there's, there's helps. Figure it out. But in prison, things change a little bit. When things have gone wrong for you, when circumstances have gone wrong, you can add a whim. I can add a whim. Have our mood sour. Have our, 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 our day darken. Have our thinking start to cloud and get really ugly. Start to reveal really nasty things about us. I thought that person was really patient. 
All we got to do is break down in 100 degree weather on the side of I-5 and I get to see the guy's just not so patient. He's really patient when he's cleaned up for church one hour a week, but not so much when a little tiny test comes of breaking down on the side of the road. This is what is so great about camping with each other last week for four days, huh? This is what's so great about going to Mexico for a week with one another. Guess what? You get sick of each other. And you love each other through it. And you put your arm around each other through it. And you also get to see these wonderful sides of people that you go, man, there's so much more to this person. I love that. So Paul's writing this and uh, his circumstances are very, very sour. Here's what else I think it does. I think it narrows your focus. I've never, never sat in prison except for an Alcatraz tour once. But um, if I was in prison, I think it would narrow my focus to say, is this really worth being locked up for? I mean, is this really worth continuing pressing on in this direction? It's also going to say, instead of writing about superfluous things out here, I'm going to have a laser focus about what's really important. What do I need our new churches to hear? What do people who are enduring other kinds of similar suffering need to know and be encouraged with and be rebuked about and be taught about and be pumped up about? And that's what I'm going to write about. And that's what, through the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul did. Finally, in terms of the, the idea of him being from prison, is you'll see illustrations and metaphors that, 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 that go on from this. As a preacher, what happens is I was, I was on a camping trip and someone made this comment. They said something, go, oh, there's a sermon illustration. And I kind of laughed thinking, you know, sometimes people are like, I guess I better be careful what I say in front of Dave because he might turn it into an illustration. The reality is you tend to teach and talk about what your life, what's going on in your life. Here's what Paul did. He refers to himself as a prisoner of Christ Jesus. An ambassador in change. He alludes to freedom two different times in the book. So these kinds of themes are drawn out as a person who's sitting in a very real physical uh, prison kind of a situation. Here's the two. Paul is writing to um, the church at Ephesus. And there's a little bit of confusion whether it's at Ephesus or around Ephesus. I show you a screenshot, a screenshot of BibleMap.org. Bible this is a great little website. You just punch in a passage of Scripture. I typed in Ephesians 1, and it had a hyperlink for Ephesians. You click on Ephesians, it shows right there. It says Ephesians means desirable. And it goes on to talk about Ephesians a little bit. If it says that Paul traveled to Antioch, you would show, click on Antioch and see where it is. I've got it zoomed way out so we can see the, uh, the boot of Italy there, and you can kind of get a little picture of, of where Ephesus was. So it's not important. Some of you really get into this. I tend to really like it and think it's interesting. But, it's in, but, it, but it, is, it is important to, to bear in mind who is this that he's writing to. If it's not to Ephesus specifically, and some would look at the evidence of the letter and say there's not these personal warm touches with very specific names mentioned in this letter like some other letters have. So maybe it was more general to a, to a broader group of people. That would be like saying it's to the church at San Jose, meaning also Sunnyvale and Las Gatas and some others. But Ephesus was the most prominent city. And so it, was, it, it bears the, the name of Ephesus. Ultimately, for us, it doesn't really matter whether it was to a specific group or to a, a larger group. Let me move on for messages for today. Um, Ephesians, one of the things that, that, that should pop into your mind as we get moving in Ephesians is that the, the church should jump out at you. That will be a massive thing that will kind of jump out at you. Um, it's well known for its theme of unity in the church. But really, Ephesians is way larger in scope than just the church. The church unity is only one part of a much larger concept that this letter is working through. This isn't in your notes, but 50 times, somewhere around 50 times, the word all is used. It's, it's, it's this, brand, this broad picture that he's painting. Listen to some of these things. God is working all things after the counsel of his will. 
He is over all, through all, and in all. He created all things, sums up all things in Christ. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Christ sits far above all rule and authority. All things are put into subjection under His feet, and He fills all in all. Do you hear how much bigger that is than just the church? That's the universe that we're talking about. It's this one plan from the one true God that we're talking about here in Ephesians. One of the fascinating things is that people in all cultures and ages struggle and wrestle with, a, with certain kinds of questions. And you test me on this. You go to a different culture, a different subset within our own culture, and you start to ask about these kinds of things. I promise you they've wrestled with it and talked about it and have their own theories and ideas and traditions about it. Here's one of them. People in all cultures and ages struggle with questions of purpose and meaning. Questions like this. What is out there beyond my little life, my little corner of the world? What else is out there? It's the big question, right, of of meaning and purpose. It's the mysteries of the universe. In chapter 1, we'll see that in Christ, believers are given the capacity to understand something of the purposes of God. We need to have some humility here. Sometimes we can come off as having the corner on on, on all truth. The reality is, as a Christian, your mind has been enlightened. You're able to see things that, that, that the person who doesn't have a regenerate heart, doesn't have the Holy Spirit, can't possibly see. Their mind is darkened to it. But there's a humility that comes in saying, um, you know, someone comes to you for advice. A young baby Christian comes to you and says, what's God's will for my life? There's some humility you need to take with that and say, man, I struggle with that same thing. And I've been a Christian for 20 years. We know parts of God's revealed life. Let's get, let's get working on those parts that are abundantly clear, black and white, and let's move in and start to work through different kinds of, of things to, to discover that. So to have some, some humility of that. But isn't it powerful that you and I are entrusted with the mysteries of God's plan? And part of what Paul, I think, was alluding to here was this idea that, guess what? Gentiles are part of this new man that God is making in the body of Christ. There's going to be one body. There's no more dividing lines. He's come to, to shred those and, and bind those back together. Ephesians 4.4, 4, look at it with me. Ephesians 4.4 4 says this. By the way, just a little side note. Um, I'm going to be uh, teaching. I'm shifting to the English Standard Version. I've been reading in this uh, translation uh, since January. I got this Bible in January. Um, I've really studied with the English uh, Standard Version for a long time. And um, I just want to make you aware of that because primarily I've been pe- teaching through the NIV. Still, think the NIV is a great translation. Keep your NIV. But as you hear me read it, and it sounds a little bit different, that's why. So just to throw that out. Ephesians 4.4, 4, listen to it. It says this. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, and through all and in all. So far, are we catching the giant scope of this, first of all? And this, this central idea of, of one pouring out. Um, here's, here's the fill-in for you. All things are created for ultimate unity in Christ Jesus. So you're, you mean to tell me that art and sports and economics and politics and socioeconomic groups over here, those things matter to God. It's not just stuff within the walls of a church. Absolutely. That's exactly what I'm saying. 
That means that you as a Christian, as you go through all facets of your life, you're walking with the Lord in those. That means the really mundane things that we all do, hopefully, like brush our teeth. That's a really mundane thing. Going to the dentist, though, you sit there and go, can can going to the dentist be a worship time? It certainly can. You ever just thank God that you feel the pain at a dentist office? I mean, it's a weird thing, but, but praise God that you feel pain. God, thank you for that. Thank you that I've got this guy here who I sure hope he knows what he's doing because he's doing some crazy things in my mouth. But thank you for him so, so that I can have teeth that still work when I'm, you know, getting, getting on in age. So there's, there's, there's just every facet of life can, 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 can be that. Um, Ephesians 1.9, look over there for a second. Ephesians 1.9 says this, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. He is making known to us a mystery. Some of your translations, I love it, call it a secret. So it's not a mystery like it can't be known. It's a mystery that can be revealed. It's a secret that can be told. And the only way to get at a secret is to be told by the one who knows the secret. Who knows the secret of all the mysteries of the universe? God does. God's drawn us close. He's whispering to us truth about what's really going on. And you just, have you ever had moments, I hope you have, where you go, no way. I mean, you're reading the scriptures and you're like, that's what God's doing. Everyone's talking about this. This is grabbing all the headlines. This is like, everyone's concerned about this. This is what God's really doing in this. I don't even need to worry about that over there. I don't need to waste my time in that. In fact, maybe God wants me to speak truth into that in a humble, gracious way, but just to shine light on the overall big picture of what God's doing. I hope as you do your devotions and read and talk to the Lord that, that you just you have your mind completely uh, overwhelmed by keep coming back to these things. You go, no one's even talking about this. That's crazy. I'm going to go to work today and not a soul is going to mention such and such. But here it is, plain as day for me to read. Powerful stuff. God's made known to us the mysteries. Uh, people in all cultures and all ages have had a sense of God of some sort. Some call it a higher power, a higher consciousness, tree, sun, moon. But, but every culture in all ages, in all of time, have had this sense of God. Where did that come from? God. We're hardwired with that. Why is that? It's because we're eternal beings. That's why. Yesterday we had a powerful worship service in here. It was a small group of people. We filled, I don't know, a few rows. Where's Marshall at? Praise God for Marshall and be, be praying for Marshall. Continue to pray for my net several weeks ago that his son, Jonathan, passed away. And these flowers here uh, decorating our stage this morning are, are left over from yesterday. But what a precious time to, to, to cry and to pray and to be reminded of truth and to laugh. And I promise you, I didn't know a lot of the people that were here yesterday, but I promise you, there was something in the gut of every one of us who sat in this room facing death that started to talk about our own mortality. It started to remind us. It, it, it brought into sharp focus. I am an eternal being. What matters immensely to me about this coming week and my schedule probably won't matter a ton at all on my deathbed. That's why it's a blessing to go to funerals. That's why it's a blessing to come around and mourn with those who mourn because we're given this gift of kind of a sharpened focus of what's really matter, of what really matters. People in all cultures have had a sense of God, a higher being, a higher consciousness, whatever they want to call it. 
They're also aware of the struggle between good and evil. You know how I know this? It shows up in art. It shows up in culture. It shows up in music. It shows up in the costumes. It shows up in scribblings on walls. Good and evil. And of the evil and the struggle within us. We want to do this thing, but we do this thing. The Bible speaks to all of this. This is, this is Christianity 101. Most of us hear this and go, yeah, of course. But it's not, of course, if you're, if you're darkened to that and you haven't been told the, 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 the good news of the gospel. Here's the second feeling is this. There is deliverance in one source, and that is Jesus Christ. This God has a name. This God is a person. This God can be known. And there's one source of deliverance. There's one way to be in, to use this term, God's good graces. And it's through the righteousness of Christ. And that's why it's so imperative that young people, middle-aged people, old people, were thinking in terms of, God, would you count me worthy enough to drop all the little American dream here and pursue this full-time? I had a great missions discussion with a person sitting in this room. And as I'm talking to this person, I'm getting chills running up my spine and my arm. So I said, what I realized was, this is like, this is like talking about someone heading off to a, to a foreign mission field right now. But it's, gonna, but, it's a, but it's a vision and an idea and a plan that's going to just share the gospel right here in San Jose. We've used this term glocal at NBC for a long time where we've tried to, to blur the line between global missions and local outreach. Churches love to separate that. I'm not really sure why. That's really just living on mission all the time. Some of you, God has called to go eat worms in Africa. Go. Start to aspire to that. Go. You have a gift for language. Start to nurture that. Go. You ought to be the first in line to come in here and pray. And as we're praying for our neighbors, you keep praying for this African nation that God's put on your heart. Listen to that. Prep for that. And go. Get out of here. We love you. But go. Go be a sent one. Some of you say, man, I could never eat worms. But you have this passion for people across the street next door at John Muir. By the way, quick plug. X Club is starting up again. Ben and I meet with the principal tomorrow morning. It's starting up next week, I think. We need your support. We need cookies and grapes. We need prayer coverage. And we need your physical body on that campus pouring into middle schoolers. That's missions. That's mission work right there. You don't even have to wear funky clothes. You can wear normal clothes that you're used to. You will eat funky things once in a while. I promise you that. But that's just junior high snack world. Um, Let me just say this. There's deliverance in one source, Jesus Christ. Here's a phrase you're going to hear a ton. Some 35 times, depending on your translation. Here it is. Ready? In Christ. Let me tell you some of the things about in Christ. In Christ, we find our calling. In Christ, we receive grace and peace. In Christ, we're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. In Christ, we are redeemed. In Christ, we're forgiven. In Christ, we're chosen. We're included. We're adopted into God's family. In Christ, we have an inheritance. In Christ, we're given the Holy Spirit. In Christ, we find our hope. Guess what? We haven't left chapter 1 yet. In Christ is a massive theme in Ephesians. It's, this song we just sang, uh, Center, was perfect. That's, here's what's interesting about it. I was sitting here thinking about it. Colossians and Ephesians are kind of uh, sister books. There's a lot of similarity to them. 
Colossians may be kind of a condensed version of, of, of Ephesians, but you're going to see a lot of the same themes and such. Colossians, the central theme song for that was this song, Center. And that's why it lined up so well as we're seeing it. I'm going, oh, that's what we're talking about this morning. It's because we're talking about the overview of the book. Um, thirdly, people in all cultures and all ages divide naturally and try desperately to reconcile the sordid rifts. I taught a six-week series on this probably 15 years ago to our, to our middle schoolers at Los Gatos Christian Church. And instead of taking a couple months to go through Ephesians, I took six weeks because attention span of junior hires is a little bit shorter and we went a little bit lighter on some things. But you know what I called it? I called it repairing broken relationships. In chapter one, the, the first parts of it, it's all about repairing the broken relationship that sin has caused between us and God. That's one relationship. But it, but it moves on to church community. It moves on to your mom and dad. It moves on to your brothers and sisters. It moves on to your relationship to the world and this natural divide you will have spiritually with the world. And the book of Ephesians has this unifying theme that says God is looking to, to, to bring this together. Look at Ephesians 2.14. Ephesians 2.14 says this. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Everywhere you go, people are dividing. Think about it. Even within a certain sector of things, here's what's interesting. You could walk by, I went to Prospect High School. I could walk by someone at Prospect High School and they belonged to kind of the stoner crowd and I was in you know, some other crowd over here. I could walk by and even though I might be kind of in relationship to him, I'm not going to say hi to him. We're not on the same plane. We don't run with the same crew. We would walk by each other all the time. We don't say hi to each other. We just don't. Now, if on summer vacation I travel to um, Moscow. Never been there for summer vacation, but it sounds interesting. I'm in Moscow. I'm cruising around the Red Square. Who do I see but the stoner buddy from Prospect? Who's best friends all of a sudden? Me and that guy, right? Because it's totally out of context. It's, no way, you're here, what's up? And you're just so freaking out that a guy from Prospect High is in Moscow in July. Like, that's the craziest thing in the world. All of a sudden, you're buds. You're like, hey, you guys, you want to join our family for dinner? Yeah, let's totally do it. Da, 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 da. What happens the following fall? Probably, yeah, I mean, it's a weird thing. All of a sudden, it's like, he's back in his stoner crowd. I'm over here. We're in different parts of the quad. And so what's interesting is interesting things bring us together. Interesting things divide us. Everywhere you go throughout life, people are dividing over things. And people are trying to reconcile it. Politicians are trying to reconcile differences. School teachers, trust me, are trying to reconcile differences. Economics, marriages, homes, churches were born to divide. It's a curse of the fall. There's a commentary that I couldn't say better, so I just wanted to quote it from it. It says this. The church is the place, the dynamic center for the consummation of the unity, which is God's divine purpose for his created order. This may be, in fact, the most distinctive feature of the teaching of this epistle. In our divided world, blacks and other minorities have poured out their blood for civil rights. Women are desperately seeking equality. The elder, especially in America, America are fast becoming a kind of race separated from the mainstream of life. The gap between rich and poor is an almost daily widening chasm. The third world is ravaged by revolution because people have seen and tasted and known that liberation is theirs and they must claim it. What a vision for the church, the gathering of a divided humanity into one. 
I hope our church continues to grow in reflecting our community. In, in those who live around our area. Not those who dress, think, and look exactly like us. It's a picture of a taste of heaven when you get a group of people in a room like this and you go, there is no way we should all be in fellowship. But praise God, we're in Christ. We're brothers and sisters. We've all been invited up to the seat of the table. And this just makes sense in Christ. Apart from Christ, this makes no sense. Life purpose, meaning of the cosmos, salvation from the bonds of sin, mission. Are these timely themes for us, church? This is what we're going to be covering in Ephesians. These are the kinds of things that are going to speak to us in the days ahead. Band, I want to invite you up. Uh, on the cover of your bulletin this morning is, is this title. Oops, sorry, there's the third one. Um, is the title one. And it's not Ephesians 1, like that's going to change to a 2 on, on, on Ephesians 2. The idea of one is this unifying theme that we're going to work through in Ephesians There's one church, one Lord, one baptism, one faith, one body, one head of that body, one love. All things are made unified or made one in Christ. There's a couple of smaller ones that 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 didn't make the uh, title slide and we'll kind of get to it as we as we trickle in. But there's many one another's in Ephesians. Speaking to one another, being kind to one another, compassionate to one another. And there's one flesh. Talking about that in Ephesians 5. Let me just say this. I can't imagine a Christian marriage that's been a Christian marriage for a season of time that isn't thoroughly well versed in Ephesians 5. The language of Ephesians 5 ought to be just running and rolling around your head as you think about how to do family, how to do life. You ought to be well versed in Ephesians 5. I read it at almost every wedding I ever get a chance to. And let me tell you, parts of Ephesians 5 fly in the utter face of culture and what you're taught and what you're shown even in some Christian circles, even in many Christian circles, I would say. <clears throat> uh, we're going to sing a song here in closing. Um, in your bulletin, you've been given some life work. Instead of homework, it's life work. You don't have to find a quiet place. You don't have to do it at the same time each day, all the things that a teacher might tell you about your homework. But let's just, let's just be honest with one another. Um, Some of you are ready to move on to a new series because it's just something new. My prayer for us as a church is this, that we would be growing in grace, that we'd be growing in our knowledge. And that works hand in hand with living life, gaining truth and living it out, living things out and seeking the truth on it. And it's just this ongoing thing. If one hand is tied behind your back, you get a giant inflated head. If the other hand's tied behind the back, what happens is you become a massive social worker, but it's not rooted in truth, and it's your personality coming out. We need both of these, and we need each other in this room. I've already mentioned reading Ephesians in one sitting. How about reading Acts 19, um, chapter 19, chapter 27, chapter 28? Just kind of noting some of the historical context about Paul in Ephesus and what was going on, his relationship to him there. There's a section in Acts about the Ephesian elders. You can see this closeness and tie there. Thirdly, is to spend time in prayer that we, the church collectively, and that you, the individual, would be submissive and attentive to the message of Ephesians. Submissive in that when you discover a new truth in your own private study, in your community group, from a question from the handout, or on a Sunday morning, you yield to it. You say, Lord, I've had wrong thinking on that. I'm going to start thinking your way on that. 
attentive to it in that you come expectantly next week in this room and you make it a priority to say, I need to hear what the book of Ephesians has to say. Let me promise you, I'm a flawed speaker. Other, you're like, Duh. Other people who are going to come up and we're going to put in front of you are flawed people. But anytime God's word is opened and preached from, if you have the right mindset and the humility, you can gain something from it. Get your pen out and submit to it and be attentive to it. Say, Lord, my mind tends to wander. Would you help me to doodle enough well with my right hand so that my brain can zero in on what I need to hear this morning? God, I tend to be this way. God, I tend to be that way. Come expectant uh, each, each and every week. Uh, each week, too, I'll be or someone will be uh, tossing out to you what's going to be covered next week. It's an easy assignment. We're going to start really easy like smart teachers do. Ephesians 1, 1 to 2. Go read that. In fact, read it every day for the next six days. Come prepared next week. So as we're talking about it, it's a small chunk of scripture. We're going to be able to kind of dive into it. And you'll have already been marinating in that some. Agreed? All right. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for your word. God, we are guilty often probably of uh, missing some of the gifts that you've put right in front of our face. I thank you, Lord, that through the power of technology, um, amazing study helps and Many quality translations of the Bible are sitting in my pocket all the time, every single day. God, I pray that you'd help us to tap into and use these things for your glory. God, it was so exciting to sit across the table with someone that you are doing an amazing work in. And he's fired up because he's got his Bible with him all the time. Lord, we do pray for your insight, your wisdom into... Uh, this study in Ephesians as we, as we launch into it. God, I pray that you would just minister to those who are hurting this morning. Some that I know about, many of those that uh, aren't known, God, except to you. I pray that you'd comfort. I pray that you would come alongside and minister as only you can. We praise you for the healing that you offer. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen.